I'm just telling you now, people, I am all kinds of fired up. I got my Mohawk rocking on October 5th. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, this is Market Call, 1 p.m. I ain't guaranteeing you 30 minutes because we got Tom Sosnoff, we got Carter Worth, we got a lot to talk about. But I'll do my very best to keep it tight today. Uh, as I mentioned, those cats are joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics, Dan, that are powered by tomorrow, SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And Tasty Trade, empowering the individual investor through content technology. And you know what, Dan? Know how. Yeah. Uh, we're powered by Open Exchange. I'm powered by the fact that Met fans showed up at Shea yesterday in the shitty weather and they had to sit through the rain. And they were so excited. Woohoo! We won the first game. And then they're off to like, they got up three home runs in the first and then like saying to themselves, wait a second. If the Bravos lose today, there's a shot that we actually might win the division. And. <laughs> That didn't happen because the Braves uh, emerged victorious. How are you? I'm doing well, guy. I, I love it that you're all geeked up because I'm, ge- I'm so geeked the Mets up. Aren't doing well. Rather than mentioning that the judge number 99 has the all. He has what the the uh, the he's got American the AL, League. He's got the yeah, AL yeah. title yeah. here now. The Listen, home run title. Pretty, pretty that title nice. stood for 61 years. Yeah. But that's as Yankee fans, we're not interested. Wait, wait, has in it really st- titles. It we're not interested in wild card appearances. Yeah. We're interested in one thing, Dan. This the rings. Yeah. You know, we got 27 of them. We're looking to know. 28 this year. Well, That's wait, all that wait, matters, Dan. Was it, was it 61 years since 61? 61 and all 61. Right. So then the other day on Sunday, I'm watching the NFL, or no, watching college uh, football, and ESPN breaks in every time the judge is up, sure. right, on Saturday. And, and Michael K said this. At this moment, he goes, I guess he said, 61 years ago today, to the minute Maris hit number 61 or something like that, which was kind of weird. And obviously the judge didn't do it. All right, let's talk really quickly. Oh, here's another thing. This is kind of funny. I get done with the fast money. You were not on set yesterday. I I was saving that. Okay, but no, no, but hold on. No, no, no. I go, I get on the NR. Okay. And I'm heading down. I'm meeting a buddy for a drink. Okay. On lower park. And I walk in and I see my buddy 20 feet away. And I look to the left of me, two feet. You know, who's slugging back a a martini at 615? Carterworth. Now, EY from SoFi. Stop it. EY from SoFi. Just crushing martinis. Stop it. Yeah. That and is then, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, right, well, that's it. I mean, that, that gives that's... me some ammo for tomorrow. Yeah. By the way, go. we're going to talk about Dan's appearance on Fox News in a little while as well. Well, no, we'll, we'll save that. Fox News. So, look, you know, I mean, obviously, we had two historic days. Well, we had historic days back to back. I mean, Monday and Tuesday were ridiculous in terms of the scope of the rally. But I think it made sense in the context of everything you were talking about Tuesday of last week. It just happened a little later than we thought. But here we are. So let's sort of contextualize as to where we are, what's going on, and what the markets look like today, Dan. Yeah, no, you mentioned something last night I thought was really interesting. You just, you, you like, while you were calling for a 5% kind of ripper, just because I guess what you and I were both saying is like the market felt like at a spot last week, the stock market, given all the moves that we had seen in credit, that we've seen in commodities, that we've seen in currencies, and really the, like, they seemed disorderly. And the mm-hmm. only thing that felt orderly actually was the stock market, the way it had been declining over the prior month or so. So to me, I 
really felt at a key technical point when the sentiment was so bad. What have you and I been yelling about for a while that strategists, economists, analysts, they've been totally off sides with the price action, at least in the S&P 500 and where they are in their targets and where they are in valuations and where they, you know, multiples and all that sort of stuff. And so it was finally late last week that they started throwing in the towels. Marco Klonovic, we talked about it. So to me, it made sense that we were going to break one way or the other. You thought they'd break higher. I didn't have strong conviction other than the fact that I did take off my Q short and I let some of my longs run a little bit. But you mentioned last night that gap that we had yesterday after that huge day on Monday, it will be filled. And my question to you now, is it going to be filled sooner or later? I think sooner. Um, you know, I think the new, and we're going to talk about energy. We're going to bring Tom in. We have a lot of things to chat about. But I just think all the news flow that you're seeing uh, suggests it's probably going to happen sooner. And things do happen faster than they did five, 10 years or so ago, which to me is a good thing. You know, you get this out of the system, but you look at this chart, you're looking at potentially now gaps to the downside that inevitably get filled. Carter can speak to that. And the move higher made sense, again, in sort of looking through the lens of the VIX traded north of 34 last week. You had huge negative, you had negative gamma. You saw it in the moves higher and lower intraday. And it suggested that maybe the market exhausted itself to the downside. Now, it turned out to be the wrong call because obviously Thursday and Friday were miserable days. And that move that we thought would happen last week happened this week. It's hard to time these things. With that said, what's next? And, you know, Carter talked about it on the show last night. He still sees 3,300. I think 3,400 is in the cards. Maybe we do that overshoot and we'll see how it shakes out. But I think we're still in an environment, Dan Nathan, until proven otherwise, yeah. instead of buying dips, which was de rigueur for so long. It's a market where you need to sort of sell the rallies and look for opportunities on the downside. And we've, we haven't really wavered from that for quite some time. Yeah, so the interesting thing about right now here, and I just say to the downside, you're looking at that year-to-date chart in the SPX, and we know the level, that gap level um, on Monday from, uh, you know, or, or actually yesterday, excuse me, was 36.84 or so, and we know what the um, the, the close was. It was like just above 3,600 um, on Friday, and so that's really where I think you got to pay attention. If you're looking to play from the long side, you probably don't want to be long too many things that you picked up recently um, below those levels. And then to the upside, again, and I've mapped this out a little bit, I could totally see a scenario where we make a move to 4,000. That's that 50-day moving average based on, let's say, a cooler jobs number on Friday. Let's say we don't have any major negative pre-announcements by, you know, big companies. You know, like we said, we could have seen them from a Microsoft or an Apple. We have the currency. There's so many mulligans, right, that they could kind of call right now, um, and especially with the market where it is down still about, I don't know, 15% from those August highs. I can see that, but the point is, if we start breaking, we fill in that gap, and it looks like we're going to close and make a new closing lows, watch out below. Mm -hmm. I agree with that, and we'll see. Again, we'll see how it shakes out. It's it's all about, again, we, we harp on this, but I think it's really important. When you sort of cut through the noise and just sort of start doing the math, what are you willing to pay for a dollar's worth of earnings, and conversely, how many earnings? You know, how many dollars worth of earnings are there going to be for the S and P five hundred? By the way, this haircut you see, this is my Travis Bickle for you taxi driver fans out there. I think it was nineteen seventy four. Yeah. Harvey Keitel was in that movie. You remember Peter Jody Boyle? Foster. I mean, yeah. obviously the great Jodie Foster. I mean, it was just tremendous. But this is my homage to Robert De Niro on a day where I think we could all use a little Robert De Niro. What else we could use on a day like today is what? Obviously, it's Tom Sosnoff. What's going on, Tom? How are you? 
Hello, boys. How are you? Hey, We're great. Good. You seem energized. These are Tom. These are your markets. You live for these types of markets. The ones we've been seeing literally over the last now couple of months. Yesterday and mon Yesterday and Monday had to be days where you're starting to cherry pick. You're starting to take advantage of things you probably put on. Just sort of speak to that before we get a little more granular. Well, I mean, I'm a contrarian, so. So I do like reversals because I'm always on the opposite side of what everybody else is. So I'm generally short because the market has a lot of positive drift. But lately, we've been trading long because everybody else is short. So I mean, obviously, the last two days were really, really good. Um, uh, I, you know, this is, this is actually, you're right. This is a fun market. I like markets with lots of noise. I also like markets where everybody gets very heavy on one side. And I think that's what you've what we've seen recently was, you know, the the public was all loaded up on the short side and and, you know, they yeah. got what they usually get. So, say, Tom, what, what do you what do you make of it again? You know, I know that, you you know, these are not things that are major inputs to the way that you trade. And you just sure. explained a little bit about taking the other side. But, you know, Amanda put together a little slide here. And I thought this was funny because this was from Bloomberg just this morning. OK, so, you know, again, when we have enthusiasm to the upside as it relates to the stock market, of course, there's this narrative that the Fed is going to slow down right on their rate hiking and on their their kind of hawkish stance there. And then the headline just below it, when we see the futures down one percent in the morning is that you know fed speak the fed you know governors whoever came out and spoke this morning and they're kind of throwing cold water on that sort of thing and it's just kind of funny that that seems to be the push and pull right here which is creating opportunities though for an opportunistic trader like you who likes to take the other side of you know kind of one-sided sentiment and i guess the point that i'd make is that like you know it seems that everyone's all in on rates if you look at the 10-year u.s treasury yield and we have you know a chart of that it holds that uptrend like a boss okay and the point is the pullback while it was sharp after that uh you know that that kind of um blow off that we saw over the last week week and a half or so how do you look to play something like that because again this seems to be the primary focus of most macro traders and its rates well so so a couple things so first of all as much as i like trading rates and i do trade I trade twos, tens, and um, I trade twos, tens, and thirties, and I trade them every single day. Mm -hmm. But the problem with trading rates is that all you can really trade is twos, tens, and thirties. I mean, like you're you're limited to three products. The beautiful thing about the stock market is, you know, you can trade a hunt. I mean, there's probably two hundred products that are liquid. There's probably a hundred that it would call like super liquid. So um, the whole the whole issue with rates is it's. Uh, you know, it, it's just the limit of products because the, on the twos, you can't really trade options. So it's really the tens and the thirties of which we are aggressively trading, you know, a lot of different premium strategies, but again, it's two products. So um, uh, I thought that run up in the bonds was incredible from 124 and change to 129. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, but again, it's a, it's a very one dimensional trade and today's pullback to 126, where are we right now? 126 and a half. Yeah, 126 and a half. I kind of, I kind of like them here. I like the notes at these levels and I like the bonds. I think there's very little downside risk. I, I don't pay any attention, by the way, just to be clear, I couldn't care less about what the Fed speak says. It, it's not, it's irrelevant to me. But I do care about bond prices. And I like the twos 
where they're trading right now, let's see, they just printed at um, one just a little bit over 112. And so I, those are the 10s. I like the 10s here and I like the 30s at, um, you know, they're trading 126 and a half. So I like both of those at these levels. I think there's very little downside risk. I think there's really good pot odds to the upside. And I'm never a bond bull, but I like those. So I think I think rates are going to go a little bit lower, that means. Tom, uh, we're going to talk about oil in a second. And I apologize this. We only have you on once a week. And I think this sure. is more of like a stylistic thing. I think people would be interested in your answer. And I know we talk about the VIX and you don't necessarily sure. trade it and all those things. But one of the things that I posited on Fast Money last week on a day that I think the VIX traded north of 34, and we saw ridiculous negative gamma. In other words, as the market went higher, more buyers came in chasing. As the market went lower, more sellers came in. To me, that's a classic sign of a potential short-term, in this case, bottom. Do you see things like, do things like that pique your interest? Because, listen, I turned out to be wrong because Thursday and Friday were yeah. a disaster. But does that sort of come into your way of thinking into the calculus? No. No. First of all, I don't watch the VIX. I watch the, the VIX futures because the VIX is, the VIX is, is a forward instrument. So the VIX is actually tracking to some date, you know, at expiration, you know, 30 days from now or whatever it is, 22 days from now. I I track the VIX futures because that's really the spot market. So that's forward slash VX or VX, depending on what platform you're using. So I would watch the VIX futures because those are, that's the real spot market. And I don't care about, I don't believe in, I know people like to talk about gamma squeezes and things like that. And as an option trader, I don't believe in gamma squeezes. So what I do believe, though, is the VIX has a pretty interesting tell um, related to it, which means when something's funky going on and the VIX is not confirming, I kind of like it as one of those just like warning, you know, one of those red flags or one of those warning signs when when you get a kind of a hard day without without a pop in vol or you get you know, an update without a sell-off involved. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at those as a little bit of a warning sign. Um, but, you know, that's all. I don't read too much into, into spot volatility, but I do watch it constantly. All right, Tom, last question though here. You heard us just talking a little bit about what we think is a pretty key technical level, the gap that we had on Monday morning after yeah. Friday's close. How how important do you think, you know, this upcoming jobs number? And again, I know that this is not an important Zero. input for you. Okay. No, I I no, I know you don't trade data, but you do recognize that there are a lot of other market participants that do, okay, and 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 they're very focused on it. And they're also very focused on some of these levels here. If we had a close, let's say 3650 filling in the gap from Monday morning do you kind of get less like inclined to play for a contrarian bounce in the S&P okay first of all so i have spent a lot of time and money researching um gaps and and different technical levels and things like that um it, there is absolutely with respect to gaps there's no statistical significance whatsoever um, other than completely random results over time. Same thing with different support levels or, you know, resistance levels, or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I don't believe that there's any value in that other than engagement value or random value. So I think when you look at these markets, the same thing with coming out with the, you know, discussion of the news, I, I don't just, it's not that there's not an emotional attachment to whatever that number is. Yeah. It's just not, it's not actionable. So I think what you have to do is you have to look at kind of, you know, you have to, at least follow the tape action, what's been happening. And I think you have a pretty good sense. Like, you know, 
the last two days we're up 100 points, right? Both days. I don't think we've ever seen that before. I mean, we've seen it on a percentage basis, but not on an actual point basis. And when you think about that, you know, when we were down um, 60, 65 handles today in the S&Ps, yeah, you have to think to yourself, you know what, after the last two days, they're probably not going to be able to hold this sell off. And as you can see right now, they just rallied back 50 handles. Um, I think that's the way you have to treat going into the numbers on, on Friday, the same exact way. If we come in strong and this market continues to be strong, I don't think you're going to get a sell-off regardless of what the numbers are. If the markets, if this, if there is a continuation of what we're seeing, you know, even a little bit today and the market gets ugly into Thursday, then maybe you can see a little bit of a sell-off, but I kind of like the market here. I like the market and I like, and I like the bonds on this dip. I think there's a little more strength. I think they caught everybody short. And when I say everybody, I don't mean retail customers because retail customers have been pretty big put sellers in this move. I think they caught the institutions. I think they caught them with, with really underinvested. And I think they caught a lot of cash on the sidelines. And I think everybody's playing catch up. I think the retail investor, from what we can tell based on our platform, is they've been selling a lot of puts on this down move. And I think they're positioned okay. Taking advantage of volatility. Again, taking advantage of people being off sides. Um, thanks, Tom. Again, obviously, it's great having you on Wednesday. Take Check out Tasty Trade for sure. Go to Tracy Tade, Tracy, fun ghoul, tastytrade.com. <laughs> I got shit in my mouth. Follow oh, at nice. Tasty Trade on Twitter. Uh, get back to it, Tom, because today's a fun day. It's going to be, listen, market goes green today. It's a big tell, in my opinion. So thanks for joining us, Tom. Yeah, it, it definitely is. That's a great point here. And let's bring in somebody who um, is very focused on the charts. And and again, um, you know, it's really, uh, for me, as someone who trades a lot of options, I find technicals really important. I find that they help inform, you know, strikes that I'm choosing to kind of like, A, where I want to stop my exposure, um, either, you know, from a risk management standpoint or from capping a gains on whether I want to spread something. So, um, you know, I, I find that to be tremendously important. That's one, one reason why we focus a lot on charts. That's one of the reasons why we are very fortunate to have Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Whoa. Nothing slick, just chart. No, that's but no way. That's that's oh, false. That's patently false because that shirt is that, that is, is slick. I mean, that's as slick as it gets. Mike, yeah. like, what are you doing? You're like off I Miami mean, Vice you know, set. I just uh, all right. Carter, Carter, let's do it here. We kept you waiting um, for a bit here, and I want to get into this because you brought uh, a bunch of stuff that we want to kind of take a look at with some important single names here. But let, we really want to get your take on just kind of the bounce that we've seen since you mm -hmm. and I and Guy have done market call on Monday and equities, the way we closed yesterday. Today's gap lower, but it seems like we're off the lows here. Thoughts on just the price action in stocks? And then also, you know, we talked about the 10-year yield holding that level. We also want to kind of think about crude oil any any updated thoughts there so just just kind of give us your your take here especially as we put it in the context of what a lot of investors are really focused on friday morning on that print yeah uh i just want to maybe tackle the gap thing because we just heard that there's no statistical um i have data that's quite contrary to that just, yeah. just to be clear i have had uh people who i would say are better than ones and zeros and that's all that quant is than anyone in the world uh, let's talk about vix which is volatility um in the history of the vix since all data begins in 1992, there have been 7,699 gaps. Now, all of them have been filled. We have stats on how quickly they're filled. Uh, anyway, moving on from that, and that's important not to 
Um, the gap that you started talking about is very important. It speaks to impetuous, aggressive buying, right? And you'll see gaps off the lows in 09 that have never been filled, and you'll see gaps off the lows of the COVID low that have never been filled, And right? So those are what are known as sort of runaway gaps where something's starting to get going in a big kind of way. The real question is, is this going to be one of those that never gets filled? Think about what a statement that would be, as is the case with gaps from the 09 low or the COVID low, or do we have to dip back and sort of address that? My hunch is that that gap will be filled. And while yeah. not all gaps are filled, uh, the question is, is this moment as epic a low as the 09 low or the COVID low? Uh, I would say no chance. So let's bring that chart back up real quick. We have a question from Jody Edmondson. Um, how is CBW, that's you, feeling about a run-up to the 150-day moving average in the SPX? I mean, it stands to reason. That's somewhat logical. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I mean, that has to be considered. So what's interesting is the downtrend line that you have drawn there is exactly where the 150-day comes into play. And my hunch is that we can rally further, but nowhere near as uh, as much as might be expected. I mean, I'm seeing... A lot of things coming out talking about 4,000, 4, 4,100. That seems like a stretch. Yeah, no, and again, I think that, you know, 150 day is 4085 here. The 50 day is about 4,000. And, and again, I'm in your camp. You know, I said it last night on, on Fast Money. Carter, I can lay out a case how we could e- easily overshoot anything that, you know, you or Guy or I think right now where the S&P could go for a whole host of different reasons here. And we've seen that that's been the story of these counter trend um, rallies um, this year. But the likelihood that we take out the August highs in 2022 to me, is just not particularly good. And I think you make a great point about the lows and the significance relative to those ones in those prior bear markets. I mean, listen, we haven't even had the recession yet, right? So like to me, I think we could just be getting started. So I think it'd be really healthy to move to 4,000 and let's see how the market acts. Let's see how the economic data acts. Let's see where the Fed is. Let's see where commodities are. Let's see if currencies have calmed down. Let's see if China's reopened. Let's see if the shooting war in Europe is still, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and let's also see where investors are as it relates to to guy's point what they're willing to pay for what's most likely to be you know whether we have an economic recession or not an earnings recession the s&p 500 guy i agree i mean that's what i said for a while i'm not an economist but i tell you i mean earnings without question have been slowing and i think more and more people are coming to that realization the other thing that's important i think and you've talked about it and i tweeted about it earlier today but very quietly Tesla's down 43% in less than a year from its all-time high. So why don't we throw a Tesla chart up? And listen, last couple of days have not been good. You brought it with you. As you say, Carter, the line, not only did it draw itself, but it basically resolved itself as well. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, obviously, this is the kind of thing where if the downside really gets going, you can, you know, you can see something epic. But as seen there on the screen, right, those... One could say that's sort of arbitrary, uh, those lines. But if we consider that time frame, which is basically a one year plus, and then we pull it back to basically the night to that, it's the same line. Mm-hmm. So that one's a telescoped version, the first one of this longer term chart. We are breaching that small up close and personal uh, rendering there. We're breaching the trend line, go back to the longer term one, that's in effect when the stock was down at, at $9. Yeah. 
Um, does that mean it has to go a lot lower? Some would say, well, now you buy it. Uh, the thing is, this is a widely held security and there is a way, uh, and often it's the case where the most widely held securities uh, basically are the last to go. And we're seeing pressure on her in Apple and of course. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a look at Apple in a second. But to me, what's really important about this Tesla and guy, you know, you were tweeting about it. And you mentioned it last night on, on Fast Money. I mean, the stock is, you know, it's not like it's been immune during the sell-off. It's, you know, down 40 plus percent from its highs. But on many different instances over the last year, it's shown really good relative strength, believe it or not, to its sector, to many of its mega cap tech peers. And the other thing is just the valuation and the, the size of the market cap is one of the things that sticks out to me a little bit. But Carter, you see this kind of series of higher lows that were made in May, June, July. I think the low in May was somewhere around 207 or so. Is that where you would expect this to find some very good support? Or is it starting to kind of maybe get a little overdone? And, you know, one of the thoughts were that, you know, you saw this nonsense about Elon Musk kind of, you know, kind of uh, folding and, and just kind of agreeing to buy Twitter for $44 billion. And one of the big questions is that where's that debt? If this is an LBO, a leveraged buyout, right? A lot of banks had committed to $12.5 billion in different sort of debt facilities. Well, it's a very different market when they committed to doing that back in April. And so I wonder if he's been selling Tesla stock to raise the equity if he was forced to do it. And so if that was like kind of forced sort of selling, if you will, where, where do you think this thing should find a home if things settle out in the Tesla Twitter thing, you know, in general? Well, it, it's sort of the lows that you cited, those intermediate lows from a couple months ago when it was first threatening to break trend and it didn't. Um, but again, support is a Major support is an important thing. There is no major support here. Yeah. There's minor, intermediate, tentative support. Yeah. All right. Here's one for you, Guy Adami. While yep. we're still on the autos here, Morgan Stanley upgraded mm -hmm. Ford. You're looking at it here on the street accounts here. Um, when, when you think about a call like this, I, obviously at any point over the last couple of years, you could have made a valuation case. You could have made a case about, you know, how they're kind of pivoting towards, you know, EVs and they have a toe in the water as far as autonomy. And, you know, none of that's really reflected in the valuation. But here we are right now. The stock has been all over the place. It was a darling. And we're throwing this thing up here, Carter, because I just got to see once Guy gives us his kind of fundamental take on Ford, what you think of our lines that we drew here. But Guy, what do you think of a call like this after such a precipitous decline over the last, call it, couple months or so? And then if you look at it over, you know, since the highs last year, I mean, this thing has absolutely been demolished. Yeah. Well, I admire the call. At least they're doing it at levels where it makes sense to do it, right? They're not chasing a stock that's been up yeah. 40 or 50%. I mean, they're basically making this call on a stock that's just been getting hammered. And in terms of the valuation argument, I mean, this stock was cheap 100% ago in terms of the shares. And that's not hyperbole. It happens to be true. So you really can't trade forward around valuation. You can't really trade around anything other than the hope that they're going to figure this out and they're going to get their share of a continuing growing market share in the EV space. We'll see if it plays out. The shares, though, are just, they can't rally in a good market. They clearly don't rally in a bad market. So what environment do you find that they do rally in? I think Carter's chart speaks for itself. I look at this and, you know, CBW bail me out here. But my sense is you think there's another leg lower. Well, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, talk about good handiwork. This is Dan's chart. Nice drawing, of course. And it is, I mean, this, this calls out just exactly this, a great run-up. A symmetrical give back, and now at a critical juncture. 
I think it's important to say that, you know, this is what that where it gets to where valuation and the value trap phrase is so important. I mean, Forbes trading at a six PE, but what does that mean? Remember, this is a cyclical business. In the 1990 recession, they lost $2.30 a share. During the COVID period, they lost money per share. I mean, uh, in fact, in the 09, at the financial crisis, they had to hock the logo, right? Which is the only thing you got. I mean, assembly lines are worth what they are, but the logo, it's a Mord or a Schnord or it's a Ford, right? They had to hock their logo to stay in business. It's a cyclical business. PEs don't matter. The chart is terrible. It looks like it's going to break off. All right. Well, we got to move to something that used to be very uh, considered very cyclical, um, but much less so given the kind of mixed shift, how it's changed um, for Apple. We used to call it Apple Computer. It was just a computer company. And then it became a music player company. And then it became a, a cell phone company. And all of those things meant to be very cyclical. Uh, a lot of the commodities and stuff that go into it, you know what I mean? Like all that sort of stuff. And that's one reason why hardware was a really bad business. Well, Apple over the last you know five to 10 years have spent a lot of time kind of diversifying that revenue base here and they're getting a higher margin on services and so you know to me you know we talked about valuation guy a lot in apple when it's trading about 28 times at its mm-hmm. recent highs and given the fact they expected to grow earnings and sales mid single digits um you know trading t- 22 times next year or so for mid single digits earnings and sales growth may be reasonable given their cash flow generation their you know their moats and their balance sheet and all that sort of stuff real quickly before we get to the car on um, the charts that carter brought thoughts on apple guy because do you expect to see this thing trading at like some like a high teens multiple in this cycle i do i mean it's not expensive to itself historically i mean valuation wise in terms of just apple in a vacuum it's actually relatively cheap in terms of the broader market it's still expensive especially when you think about mid-single digits earnings growth, mid-single digits revenue growth, and a company whose margins have been, I don't want to say deteriorating quickly, but they have been deteriorating. I mean, what would you pay for that? So, and listen, do you think Apple's going to be impervious to this global slowdown where I think consumers are going to be more focused on what they're spending money on? I don't think necessarily so. And it's not, it's again, it's not a dig on Apple. I mean, everybody at certain point falls under the pressures that a lot of these other companies are feeling. And I think it's just a matter of time before Apple does. And you've said it a number of times. Would it surprise you for Apple to come out with an earnings warning? It wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think that gets us to the next leg lower. All right, Carter, help us think about what the next leg lower and Apple looks like here. Because again, you know, you use this expression many times on market call here. They shoot the generals last. We've seen a lot of really good relative strength, the largest market cap company in the world. But over the last week, week and a half or so, maybe it's been a bit telling because this thing dropped like a lug um, in that time period. That's right. One week ago, Tuesday was making new all-time relative highs to the S&P, even as it's selling off on an absolute basis, which you can see. And then the relative is to started to deteriorate. And so we're at a critical juncture. You can see that line. Now that's only three touches. So in many ways, one could say, so what? Uh, my hunch is that we'll back and fill here. And then ultimately the stock works lower. Okay, fair enough. All right, one last thing on the tech front here, Carter. We haven't spoken about the ARK Innovation ETF. And not that the, the, the ETF in itself is that important, but some of the names that make it up. And we know that Tesla is the largest holding nearly, um, you know, uh, what is it, 6 or 7% or actually 9% of the weight here. And that's done, um, you know, if that thing falls the way you think it could continue to fall, or I think it continue to fall, I'm, I'm long puts in it too. I mean, this thing is toast, the arc. It's making new lows, if that is the case. 
case, but you look at some of these other names, Zoom and Roku. I mean, these things are holding on Carter for dear life down 80 some percent from their highs a year, year and a half ago. Um, but they're about to make new lows. And so what is that telling you about, again, you know, from a market cap standpoint, take Tesla out. None of these names are particularly significant to the broad market. But what does it say to you from a sentiment standpoint? Well, I, I think, again, it, when you're getting into sort of the, the final stages, and who's to say this is the final stage, but we've come a long way, right? The S&P is down 25%, NASDAQ down 35 When you get towards the end of a, of a route, the things that get hit the worst, more often than not, are one of two things, and they're exactly the opposite. It's the very worst things, right, that have just been never came up for yep. air. Couldn't even bounce in the June, July bounce, like the Zeus Palatins. Those just get destroyed. People just literally get away from it, abandon it, dump it all. And then it's the exact opposite. Strong stocks that are holding out that people, I got to grab my money. I knew this one eventually would roll over. And that's like the Teslas and Apples. But these things down here, uh, you get to a point when it's really bad where there's no bid. That's what happens. One of the things we've been talking about, um, one of the concerns I've had, I don't think this Fed pivots pauses, whatever nonsense word you want to use on the back of an S&P. I think the S&P has to go markedly lower than where we are now before they think about it. But I think the real concern is going to be if credit becomes an issue. And we brought some charts here, Carter, maybe you can take a look at it with us. But HYG, JNK, I mean, all these things have not been trading particularly well. Uh, let's just take a look at the chart and see what they look like. I mean, my fear, again, is that we have a credit situation here, Dan, and that sort of derails the entire thing. This is obviously Bloomberg JNK, not trading well, Carter, your lines. What are your thoughts here? Am I making too much out of this? No, I mean, so we know as a distinct from things that have held their June low um, or broke tentatively at the S&P and back above, this broke substantially. And now notice where it rallied back to, right, to the kill zone, if you will. It simply returned to the scene of the crime, an inherently difficult level, and did it with a gap. And that gap is almost certain to be filled, hence the red arrow, I would say. The, the, the HYG is the same, of course. These things are uh, 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 different uh, parents or vendors, but mm -hmm. it, it, it all looks very heavy. And then uh, I know you like to compare things, so why not? We brought another chart along with us. It does exactly that. <clears throat> I mean, look at those things, right? They mm -hmm. are, again, different um, ETF vendors or companies that, that sponsor these things. I don't know which one's the spider and which one's the iShares or whatever. But the point is that, yes, they're very similar and they are not they're not in good positions. Yeah. Well, I would just mention one other thing here. And, you know, um, you know, we bring up these are just ETFs and there's a lot of different securities in them. And, and some people would say that there's probably better ways to kind of identify the risks in the markets overall. Right. As it relates to corporate credit. But we use those. We're just simpletons here. And I think, you know, um, the, the fact that like someone like Jeffrey Gunlock, who runs Double Line, right, has tweeted out and he doesn't tweet particularly often. I think last week he tweeted something about the JNK or the HYG or both of them that they're below levels that were trading mm -hmm. in the COVID lows in early, you know, 2020, I think it's significant that people like him are focused on it. That's why we bring it up. That's why we like to marry, you know, from a sentiment standpoint, from a fundamental standpoint, and obviously Carter's technicals, because that bounce that you've seen in those two ETFs relative to the bounce in the major equity indices that got above those prior lows that we were really focused on the chart is pretty anemic here, man. And so, you know, maybe that is what's going to lead 
lead, equities lower. I think maybe that's what we're all saying here. Yeah, that's been my concern for a while. I think he was talking about the LQD, the high grade um, oh, corporate yeah. bond ETF, which is significantly lower than the lows we made in the in the peak of 2020 madness. So again, they're they're mitigating reasons as to why that is. Doesn't matter. The reason is that we're here. Again, it's something to watch. But you know what else is something to watch? Carter Braxton Worth, who puts out extraordinary work all the time. I want to thank CBW for joining us both Mondays and Wednesdays. I want to thank Tom Sosnoff from Tasty Trade for joining us here on Wednesday. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, Tasty Trade. Of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. Tomorrow we'll be back with the recently birthdayed, apparently scotch drinking or martini drinking EY from SoFi. But before we go, there's sort of like, what, what do you call it? Like a, just a moment in time where you got to sort of stick a flag in the ground. Last night, Dan had a bit of a oh, rant man. about a certain company, and he made his way, oddly enough, onto the video screen of Fox News. Dan, before we get out of here, oh, God. Uh, just, just sort of speak to that, because I think you've made it. You've reached the pinnacle. Really? To, to be on a foxnews.com page? I mean, no, it was funny because we were talking about Twitter and Musk um, buying it. And, you know, we were talking about what might change and, and how, um, you know, who might be let back on it. I just had a couple comments about some people that had been suspended and some of the narratives in and around it. So Fox picked that up and they said CNBC's. And just to be clear, I'm a contributor to CNBC. I don't work at CNBC. Um, so they were labeling me as a CNBC person which I guess I am. Um, so yeah, you know, and you and I were talking about it. And as you were talking about it, we were talking about it on the phone a couple hours ago, I see it hit the tape and my crazy. news on my fact set. Um, so it made it into that feed. But um, again, I think that the headline was that CNBC's Dan Nathan is going to leave Twitter if Donald Trump is allowed back on it. Um, you know, have at it, people. Enjoy, enjoy that hellscape when it comes back to you because I won't be there. The, the at-risk reversal handle may stick around, but it won't be me. How's that? I love the have at it. Listen, folks, thanks for joining us. We ran late. I'm sorry for you Met fans out there. Listen, you got playoff baseball. Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Shea against the Padres. Let's go. Don't be down. I mean, you should be happy. You're going to be a 101-win team after all said and done. Just stop. Turn that frown, Dan, upside down. down. All right. Thanks a lot, man. That was a lot of fun today. We'll see you tomorrow. See ya.